So I want us to think about the lyrics we just sang for a second. Your goodness is running after me. Five bucks for anybody who can tell me what passage in Scripture that comes from. Who is it? Nobody? I get to keep it. Psalm 23, surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. Now here's what's cool. It's actually a hunting term. So it's like, it's like the guy with the bow and arrow going after the deer. That's God's love, his goodness pursuing you. So when you think God's out to get me, that's a lie from the enemy. Because God's word says, no, his goodness, his mercy pursues you every day of your life until you're with him. So, right? So we got to keep that straight in our minds. Right on? Okay, let, let's pray as we get going. Lord, open up your word to us, please. We need you. Uh, we need direction, wisdom, especially in this day and age in our society, in our culture, in our world. So, Lord, we say yes in advance. And the things that you tell us, uh, we will try to do them with the strength of your spirit. And we say that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So today we are going to be talking about people. How many of you would consider yourself a person? Would you raise, raise your hand? Some of you are not paying attention right now. How many of you would consider yourself a person? Okay, good. So we've been studying the book of Nehemiah for a little while, and we've been focusing a lot on walls and gates and citadels and all the blocks that put together a city. But the rebuilding of Jerusalem was really about the people that would live inside the walls, not about the walls themselves. So we're going to talk about people a lot today. Um, and last week we read this verse from Nehemiah 6. So the wall was finished in, uh, on the 25th day of the month of Elul in 52 days. That's pretty amazing that they finished it after more than 100 years of it being broken down. So it was finished, but in order for the city to be really reestablished, it needed what inside of it? People, right? It doesn't really matter if you have beautiful walls and you're all safe and everything's but you don't have any people living in there. So Nehemiah 7.4 from our passage for today, it says, Now the city was large and spacious, but there were few people in it. So the physical part was done. But the relational part, the spiritual part, had to be focused on next. So um, I feel like as I've been studying this, and i, I got to tell you a little bit, so... Originally on my notes for this, this series in Nehemiah, I was planning on getting into chapter 7 and 8 today. And it was like the people re, you know, coming back to the city is chapter 7. The people coming back to God's word is chapter 8. And, and I really feel like what the Lord did this week with me is he kind of pulled the e-brake and slowed me down in chapter 7 we're going to spend next week on chapter 8 all about the centrality of God's word in our lives, which will be beautiful and powerful all by itself. But I feel like the Lord kind of slowed me down in this chapter and said, now wait, I want you to notice a few things. So there are a couple of things for us that he wants us to pay close attention to. And one of them is this, that sometimes we focus on the physical and not the relational and the spiritual. We live in a culture that is obsessed with the physical. 
So, uh, and, and I think it's interesting how much time and energy we put into the outside and not the inside. And a couple of verses that, that really speak to that. One is Paul in, in 2 Corinthians. He said, your body is a tent. And so it's funny how much work we put into the tent. And so we try to keep that tent going. How many of you have had, have had a tent for more than 20 years? How does it, how does it look? Right? But that's kind of our bodies. Like they do over time, right? And we try to, you know, we try to pretend like that's not happening and we try to take the best care. You want to take care of the tent, but it's not going to last forever. And what's interesting is a lot of times we spend so much time on the outside and no time on the inside. The person lives inside the tent. It's not about the tent, it's about the person who lives inside. So sometimes you, I'll do a memorial service, a funeral for somebody who lived well. They, they focused on the person who lives in the tent. Sometimes I do a memorial service for somebody who did not focus on who they really were and on their soul. And it's, it's a mess. It's sad. Here's the other picture of physical versus spiritual. Paul said in 1 Corinthians that our bodies are a temple of the Holy Spirit. So we're not just a physical thing. Someone once, someone once said, um, we're not a physical person having a spiritual experience. We're a spiritual person having a physical experience. Deep thought for you for today, right? You can tweet that if you want. That was, that was good. So, but think about, like, our, our whole inside is supposed to be welcoming the Holy Spirit and allowing God to work through us. And yet a lot of times we're, we're so caught up in how we look, how we appear, how we act, how we talk, how that he's not, he's not, we're not a temple. We're a temple of something else, and it's not him. So let's focus on the, the, the relational, the spiritual. And I love how it says at the end of that, 1 Corinthians 6.20, honor God with your body, not just with your thoughts, not just with your decisions, with everything. So let's read our passage for today. Turn to Nehemiah 7, starting in verse 1, which is a good place to start. After the wall had been rebuilt and I had set the doors in place, the gatekeepers, musicians, and the Levites were appointed. So I'm going to slow us down a few times through this passage because you might say, so what? And that's a great question. We're going to, I'm going to answer that, so what? There were a couple of priorities that Nehemiah had as the city got established. The first two are security and worship. Those are some pretty fantastic priorities in our lives and for a city to get established. So who were those Levites that he talked about? They're the descendants of Levi. Okay, so you remember this name. And who was Levi's great-grandson? Or not great, regular grandson. Aaron and Moses, two kind of important grandsons, right? Aaron, his line became the priests, but the Levites were a little bit of a larger group than just the, the priests. So the Levites, their whole tribe, served in the temple. So they were guards, they were musicians, they were temple workers, and the Levites organized worship for the people. So it's interesting that, that right at the beginning, Nehemiah establishes the, the gatekeepers who are going to watch the gates, who comes in, who, who goes out, the musicians who are going to make sure that praise is going before the Lord, and the Levites who are all about worship in the city. 
So all priests were Levites, but not all Levites were priests. Did you follow that? Okay, cool. So Nehemiah 7.2, I put in charge of Jerusalem my brother Hanani, along with Hananiah, the commander of the citadel. And look what he said about him. Because he was a man of integrity and he feared God more than most people do. I just, I, I loved that phrase. Like what, I've never seen, I don't, I don't think there's, this phrase occurs anywhere else in scripture. But this guy, evidently, there's something about the way he walks and the way he talks that he just kind of grabs your attention. You're like, oh, he lives for God. He's more concerned with what God thinks than what people think. So how do you know if someone fears God more than the others around him or her? I think you would notice by their attitude. There's probably a humility in this person. And and I think you you would notice in them a reverence in their life, that they feel like everything they do, everything they say matters for something greater. Uh, and, and I think you would also notice a faith because they would be constantly looking up. Not They'd be looking at you and caring about you, but they're really serving him, right? So here's a hard question for me and for you. Would someone say that about me? Would someone say that about you? Oh, yeah, Lisa, for sure. She, she fears God more than most people. Yeah, Christina, for sure. Oh, yeah, you just, right? I want to I be like that. I want people to say to me, not, man, he's really fun to be around. So what? That's not getting me into heaven, right? But I, I do want people to say they honor the Lord, right? They look to God above people. I want people to say that about me. I hope that you want people to say that about you. Verse 3, I said to them, the gates of Jerusalem are not to be opened until the sun is hot. While the gatekeepers are still on duty, have them shut the doors and bar them. Also, appoint residents of Jerusalem as guards, some at their posts and some near their own houses. So you would say, so what? Why do we have this recorded here? Here's why, because this was not normal practice in the culture. In the culture, you open the doors, the gates, at, du- at dawn. You close them at dusk so that when you're trading with all of your neighbors, they know, oh, if I'm going to go sell my oranges, I show up when the sun rises so I can sell my oranges before anybody else. And then if I'm going to leave, I leave at this point. It's normal practice for all the walled cities in the Middle East, but not for Nehemiah. Do you know why? Because of the enemies. So this is a brand new city, brand new gates, just people coming back after 100 years of being decimated by their enemies. He knows enemies are sneaking around, trying to to, uh, bring all kinds of confusion and fear to the people. So he says, I'm not going to be like everybody else. And it's kind of like he's saying, and I don't care what you think. (laughs) So here are the new rules. You know the rules you've had for 100 years? We're not doing that anymore. You know the city next door? We're not doing that either. So you're going to do it this way. We're going to be open less hours so that we are secure. So this made me think this week, what security measures do you have in your life? And you might be thinking they're like crickets, like uh, security measures. I don't have any. Like what what are you even talking about? Pastor Kirk, I don't, I don't know what you mean. I, I'm glad that you asked. 
Are you going to be like the people in our culture who don't really guard their minds, don't really guard their spirits, don't really guard their time, uh, what they listen to, what they watch, what they think about? Or are you going to say, wait a minute, my mind and my spirit is too important to just stay open all the time. So what does it look like to have security measures in your life? What does it look like to have godly security? So you can secure your life. Um, there's a thing called LifeLock that uh, Rick was talking about. Oh, incidentally, Rick, our usual bass player, he's moving to Indiana. I know, and you might say, he's nuts, which he is nuts for moving to Indiana, but we're going to miss him a lot. And I'm sorry, I'm taking a little right turn, but um, he'll be back playing next Sunday, which will be, I think, his last week here. But if you would like to chip in for gift cards for gas, because wow, right? Gas is a little nuts. Somebody, somebody sent me a, a little picture this week that said, my wife wanted me to take her somewhere expensive. And then it has a picture of them at the gas station having dinner. <laughs> anyway, so, but if you want to chip in to help Rick get to Indiana and bless him, just put something in the giving box back there and write Rick on it, R-I-C, and we'll make sure that he gets all that and we'll bless him, okay? So anyway, so... Um, how did I get on that? So LifeLock. So Rick said this is a really good idea because it's all about identity theft. It's, it protects you. So I was thinking about spiritually. The enemy, Satan, wants to steal your identity. He doesn't want you to walk around like a child of God. He wants to mess with you and confuse you and take things that are rightfully yours. So there is like a security that God has for his people, and I feel like Nehemiah understood this, that he needs to go above and beyond to help the people be safe from their enemies. And I feel like we sometimes are just dumb, and, and we don't put security measures in our lives that protect our soul, our integrity, our morals, and our identity from theft. Because, man, the, how, how easy is it if, if Satan confuses your identity, you're no threat to him. You're not going to reach anybody for the Lord. Your life's not going to count for anything over time because you're not sure who you are. Amen? So, so way beyond life lock, um, here are some strategies to secure your life. And I just wrote down a couple of them. And you could, this is not an exhaustive list. You can come up with some others. But um, these are, in, incidentally, if you, if you feel like, ooh, that was really smart and I'd love to look at that later, on the Bible app, how many of you have the Bible app, Life U version? You can go to events and Caneo Church. You can find some of these notes and just pew, just like that. Okay? Yep. Pew, that's how it works. <laughs> so the first one is this, know and follow God's word. So uh, Proverbs 30 says, every word of God is flawless. And I love this. He's a shield to those who take refuge in him. He protects us. And one of the key ways that God protects us is through his word. Here's the second one, be in fellowship, meaning be accountable. Fellowship doesn't just mean having pizza with people once a week. Fellowship means you're on the journey together with somebody, going the same direction for the same purpose. You're on mission. That's what it means. Now, sometimes we, as Americans, we get isolated and we feel like, hey, it's just me and Jesus and we're all good. That's how the enemy wants you, because you're vulnerable. You've got nobody around you covering you in prayer and protecting you and, and saying, 
hey, you shouldn't do that, that's really dumb. We need people in our lives. I, I read a study recently that half of American men do not have a close friend. And I was like, wait, and the statistics in the church are the same. Now, ladies, I think you're ahead of us. But, but dudes, we got to get this together. Like, if we're not accountable, we're, we're dead. Right Hebrews 10.25, don't stop meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encourage one another. And I love the last line, and all the more as you see the day, capitalized, approaching. All the more as we see the end of time coming, as we get closer to Christ's return, don't stop meeting together. And that doesn't mean you're doing the live stream once a month. That's not meeting together. Now, live stream has its purpose. Hi, everybody online. We love you. Um, it's awesome that you're doing this. And being in person and being in person and being in person is much more powerful. Okay. Preach it. The third one. Fear God, not people. Hebrews 13 says, so we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper, I will not fear, and I love this, what can man do to me? Bring it. There's, there's something about fearing the Lord, like that guy uh, Hanani did, he, he fears God, and it's like, yeah, you, people can be mean to him, and it probably, you know, he's like, yeah, that hurt, but ultimately, this is what matters, his relationship above. And, and if he's going around trying to please everybody, he's never going to be the governor that he needs to be. If you go around pleasing everybody and not pleasing the Lord, your life is going to be an absolute mess. And if you try to make everybody happy, guess what? You can't. Try to please the Lord. Amen. Amen. Okay, there was an amen. And the last one is this, know your dangers. And this is different for every person. So we all have scars, we have habits, we have history, we have stuff in our past. And we have to know what are the things that get us in trouble. If, if going to Vegas gets you in trouble, what should you do? Right? And, but, but it's funny, like sometimes we're like, well, I want to get as close to the edge as I can. You know, and what's the worst thing that could happen? We are so dumb. Uh, our, my parents took our two sons to the Grand Canyon a number of years ago when they were little. And so Luke, the older one, is, is kind of the daredevil. He's the longboard skateboarder, you know, downhill skateboard. He's like crazy. So he was just like, you know, hanging over the railing of the Grand Canyon and like, oh, look at me. And then Josh, his little brother, he's holding the railing on the other side of the parking lot. <laughs> like, he's like, I'm good. I can see it. It's beautiful, you know? And I feel like some of us as Christians, we're like, you know, hey, look it, you know, I'm just going to hang out over here. Eventually, you're going to fall in the Grand Canyon. And I would much rather be like Josh, being like, you know, the view's fine. I can see all the people being stupid over there. I'm good. I'm here with the Lord, and I'm growing, and I don't need to be there with you guys because you're crazy. Okay, Len, you can say amen. amen. Okay. Okay, so Nehemiah took protecting the people really, really seriously. He didn't want to build the walls and then lose the city. And it was all about the people who were going to live in there. So one thing he did was he put the guards at the, at the gates. He put watchmen literally on the walls, which is a theme in Scripture, watchmen on the walls. And we find that in Isaiah 62 is probably my favorite one. 
And it says, I've posted watchmen on your walls, Jerusalem. They will never be silent day or night. You who call on the Lord, give yourselves no rest. And give him no rest till he establishes Jerusalem and makes her the praise of the earth. This whole chapter is about reestablishing Jerusalem out of its disgrace. And it has two fulfillments. One of them is what we're talking about, the people coming back into the city. And the other one is at the end of time, book of Revelation. And so what's cool, though, here is it's talking about the watchmen on the walls never stopping to pray that God would establish his work and his city. In other words, never stop bugging God about his promises. That's what it says. And so I, I love how uh, Nehemiah established the Levites and the singers and the guards, right? And I love how the Levites were physical guards. They were also spiritual guards. They brought both. And, and they were watchmen on the walls with both meanings, looking out for the people's spiritual well-being and looking out for their physical well-being too. I think that's a really cool picture of, of a guy with a Bible and a sword. You know, and he's like, I'm looking out for the people. Like, I, I want them to survive both ways, not just one way. So I see God doing something similar to that in our church right now. I feel like he is establishing uh, many of you as uh, watchmen and watchwomen on the walls, where you're looking out for the spiritual well-being of others, where you are always praying and always asking God on the behalf of others for their security, for their safety. He's creating a safe zone where people can come here and find hope and find peace and find people who will actually care about them and not judge them. That's rare out there. And people are looking for people who will actually care about them for who they are. And you're becoming that. You are that. So I want to say, the Lord wants to say, good job. Well done, good and faithful servants. And the other thing is this, he's creating a house of worship and a house of prayer. Prayer has been on this climb for us as a church like the last six or eight months where it's, it's beautiful. I, I, and I love how, um, and I want, I want to just say this to you, some of you may be freaked out if somebody's like, hey, can I pray for you? That's, that's actually love. That's actually good. That's godly. That's right. So don't feel called out like, ooh, I, you know, they must know something about me that, you know. No, prayer is, prayer is, is uh, kindness, and it's God's grace to each of us. And I feel like God's creating, he's calling many of you to start praying for others and to be spending more and more time with him so that you actually have something good to give to others. And, and why? I feel like it's kind of like in, in the book of Nehemiah, God brought in this first group of people, and then he got them ready to receive the rest. So some of you are fairly new to our church, and yet God is giving you quick, deep roots so that he's going to use your lives to receive others. And it's beautiful to watch it. So I want to just say yay, and let's see what the Lord does this year. Amen? Amen. So Nehemiah 7.4, the city was large and spacious. There were very few people in it. The houses had not yet been rebuilt. So, verse 5, my God put it in my heart to assemble the nobles, officials, and common people for registration by families. I found the genealogical record of those who had been first to return. This is what I found written there. So 
instead of reading the next 67 verses of names, you want me to? Because I will. Okay. <laughs> That's quite a threat. There are 42,360 men plus their families that are listed. And so the, the rest of the, that chapter, Nehemiah 7, is the listing of the people who returned. Now, it's interesting, this is almost identical to the list in Ezra 2. So I'm going to geek out on archaeology for you for just a minute, okay? So the list in Ezra 2 is different. It's like 92% the same and 8% different. And, and so some people have said, ooh, look, Bible's wrong. Woohoo! I found a mistake. Look at this. So verse 7 doesn't match verse 8. Now, here's the problem. We think we're so smart, we put ourselves above God's word, and we're like, I see little problems. And, and there's a great explanation for almost all of them. There are a couple that stump me, but there are still explanations. Now, this one is easy. The lists are written 93 years apart. The first list in Ezra is the people leaving Babylon. Here they go on their journey to Israel, Okay. Now, the second list, 93 years later, is Nehemiah saying, here are the ones that actually arrived, plus those who were born minus those who died. That's not a hard explanation, right? And so there are some people that have said, look, here's a big discrepancy in Scripture, and then there are a whole bunch of scholars who are like, yeah, no. These are two different lists that are very, very similar. And probably what happened is Nehemiah took the original list, and then he went, this one's different. Let's correct this number, and how many people in your family now? Okay, let's write that in here. So that's really what happened. Amen. And one of my favorite character names is in there. So Zerubbabel was the one who really wrote that original list in Ezra. That's just, if you're going to have a child, Zerubbabel. <laughs> At least for his middle name, that's just good. So why is this list in the Bible? Because the people returning to Jerusalem was more important than the walls. Who they were, their stories, their families, their lineage, coming back to the land was a holy moment. And the power of the city is not in the strength of its walls. It's in the strength of its people. It's in the strength of its worship. So that's true of us. That's true of our church. It's true of our city, right? Is Thousand Oaks a great place to live? Is the greater Caneo Valley a great place to live for you more Parkians and Simeans and, and Camarilloites and Agoraphobians, right? So that's what you call people from Agora. So, but the strength that we have is not in the beauty of our trees and our golden hills. and It's, it's in our people and in our worship of the Lord. And I hope that we'll be known not as a, you know, one of the top 10 places to live in the country, but we'll be known as the place where the Lord moved and changed people's lives forever. And they'll think of this place as where some good stuff started that spread and touched people across the country. Amen? Amen? So um, remember that it's important to think of the people coming back to the city, but it's also important to remember who they were when they left. Why did they get kicked out of the promised land? Why did they have to leave Israel in the first place? And so if you do a little research in First and Second Kings 
and in Jeremiah, you know what you're going to find? Idolatry. They forgot the Lord. They went after all kinds of evil and crazy gods that they served. They also got really selfish and started living for themselves and doing crazy stuff. And they were let go into captivity for more than 100 years, at least 70, and some of them well over 100 years because they forgot God. So the people that returned to the city were very different than the people who left the city because they'd been through a heck of a journey. Generations in captivity in Babylon and then in Persia, and they had been out there on their own having their faith tested and stretched. They'd learned from the mistakes of their grandparents, and I feel like they had grown through the challenges seeing God's faithfulness and bringing them back, and how cool would that have been to be returning to this place that you'd only heard about and that that the promised land was finally going to be reestablished in your lifetime. And I think about people now uh, in Ukraine. Three million people had to flee to all different places all around uh, Eastern and Central Europe. And here's the thing. They're not going to be the same when they go home. Their apartment may not be there. Some of their family members may be gone. And here's the thing that I'm praying for, that the journey will actually develop their hearts. And I'm not saying any of this is good. What I'm saying is that God can use what the enemy means for evil and turn it upside down, and that I want to be praying that the Ukrainian families, that the moms and dads find the Lord during this time, and they're able to help their kids have perspective about, yes, there's evil in the world, and here's how we respond to that. And here's, here's how we grow through the difficulty. And then I, I hope and pray that as they are in faith, I'm praying that they, this place will be reestablished, that they'll be able to go back home better, stronger, and, and with deeper faith than they've ever had before. Um, so, so what about us? Let, let's, 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 get, let's get really practical right now with, with our situation. Are we the same people that we were two and a half years ago. Think about it, right? So we have been through a really interesting time. Some, some of you feel like, man, my life got hijacked. Like what I used to just go about my normal routine got changed dramatically. No, no one kicked me out and took me 900 miles away. That's true. But it felt like that, felt like my, my normal got pretty abnormal, right? And, and so the question is, for us is, have we changed and how? Now, here's, here's a good thing. One definition of life is change, literally. If something doesn't change, it's not alive, okay? So here's what I mean by that. If you're not changing, if God is not changing you, if you're the same person you have been for the last 10 years, you're probably spiritually dead. I'm just saying. And that's not to be mean. That's actually loving. That's like, you got to pay attention to that. If you're not changing and growing and there's not something active going on in your spiritual life, you're probably spiritually dead and that needs a little attention. So let's say that you had a baby in your house who's two years old and they stopped growing for the next three years. What would you do? Lose your mind is what you would do. You would 
You would read every book, go to every specialist. You would spend any amount of money it is to figure out what's wrong. The problem is a lot of Christians don't grow. And there's no attention to why. Well, what's wrong? Well, something's broken. We got to fix what, What's the cure? And here's the other thing. If we're not becoming more like Jesus over time, we're not spending time with him. He rubs off. He does. So 2,000 years ago, he walked around with his guys, and they changed dramatically. They became fearless. The guys who were hiding from, from the cops for fear of being arrested, they became world changers who traveled the whole planet, and we wouldn't be here without that. Interesting. So if we're spending time with Jesus, he will change us. If you're not changing, you got to spend some time with him and get real. And start now. Because, man, you could be hit by a bus tomorrow and not have another chance. It's just true. Okay. So it makes me think about the last two years. Think about who you were two years ago, maybe in February. Okay? Maybe even March. Because in March we were just thinking, oh, this will just take a couple weeks. No sweat. You know, we'll get it. We'll, I'll get a cold and it'll be fine. So two years later, a lot has changed in us, in our culture, in our families, as a church. So who were you before COVID? Just get a picture of that in your mind. And what has changed in your attitude, in your spiritual life, in your relationships? How do things look different now, are you angrier than you were two years ago? Hmm. I thought somebody would answer that out loud. Are you wiser than you were two years ago? Are you more anxious than you were, or are you more peaceful than you were? And here's what's even more important than what I think. What would Jesus say about you then versus now? Would he say, wow, look how you've grown? Or would he say, wow, look what has been lost? So our faith has been challenged, our priorities have been challenged, things have been tipped over, off-center, right, out of balance. The question is, what's good and what's bad from the last two years? And as, the, as God reestablishes us now, as people, as families, as a church, as a city, who does he want us to be? And, and praise the Lord if you feel like, man, I grew like crazy the last two years, and that was just what I needed. Thank the Lord for that. Odds are there's a couple things in your life that changed for the worse the last two years. And just say, Lord, what do you want to say to me about that? What do you want to, are there some sharp edges that I've picked up that you want to knock off? Is there some judgmentalism, some anger, some hate, some, right? Something in me that is not godly? And how, Lord, can I fear you and honor you more than any of that? So what's the Lord showing you? And what does he want to say to you about what needs to stay or go? We're just going to pray on that for a minute. And, uh, and Jeremy, you can, you can come back up. So just, just bow your head for a minute. We're just going to spend a minute with the Lord. Lord, I ask that you'd show each of us as we sit here, as we stand here, ourselves from your perspective. 
And Lord, first of all, we just feel your love and your grace. Thank you for pursuing us and, and for forgiving us and for putting up with us. But Lord, I ask that you'd show us ourselves in your eyes versus two years ago. How do we look? How are we doing? Are we growing? And Lord, right now for some of us, we, we feel like, yeah, we've grown in wisdom. We've grown in patience. We've grown in peace. And so Lord, we just say thank you. Thank you, thank you, Jesus, because those are gifts straight from you. And Lord, some of us, we have been tipped over by this culture, by this season, and anxiety has peaked in our lives. And Holy Spirit, we ask that you'd bring peace. We ask that you would wash shalom over your children once again, that you would uh, bring us into this land of peace and, and hope. And Lord, that, that that anxiety would fall away in your presence. And Lord, some of us have been ruled by hate or judgment, or uh, it, it just seems like we are we have become quick to judge. But Lord, your word says that we're to be slow to speak, slow to become angry, and patient, forgiving, gracious like you are. It doesn't mean we don't care about truth. It just means we steward it well. So, Lord, I ask that you would show each of us if we need to ask your forgiveness and ask for your healing in parts of our lives that have become angry and embittered. And, Lord, that you would pull out those bitter roots and throw them away. And, Lord, that you'd replace that with the spring of your spirit, the inner water that we need, the living water from you. And Lord, whatever else, Lord, just, just allow the Lord to speak to you right now in this moment. Just say, Lord, show me from your perspective what you would have me work on. Maybe some of us in this room, we need help with security around our lives. We are unsafe. And Lord, you want to build in some, some security in us to keep us focused on you and to keep us safe spiritually so we can uh, affect others for you. And maybe some of us have stopped growing, Lord. We, we bring that to you. And, we say, Jesus, meet with us. Be intentional to say, Lord, I'm going to be with you this week. Thank you for waiting for me. And Lord, I ask that you would change me and make me more and more and more like you every single day. And may I never look back, Lord. And I ask, Lord, that others would look at my life and say, I fear God more than others around me. And Lord, would you make my life more like you? We thank you, Jesus, for answering and listening and being with us when we pray. And Lord, we give you this week. In Jesus' name, everybody said. Amen. And we're going to sing one more song, and I hope that you will just uh, listen to the lyrics and say them to him when you're ready. But don't say them unless you mean them. <laughs>